from Beacon Point, this is Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. Co-host and certified financial planners, Kobe Kress and Karen Reifel, help listeners navigate various life moments and major life events through the lens of personal finance. Contrary to popular belief, these money conversations are not boring. Prepare to be informed and entertained. Beacon Point podcasts contain opinions of Beacon Point and are subject to change. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. And the listener should understand that investing includes risks, such as risk of investments and principal. Please contact your Beacon Point advisor if you have any questions. Welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. I'm Kobe Kress, and with me, as always, is Karen Reifel. Hey, Karen. Hey, Kobe. How you doing? I am doing great. We're once again recording on a Friday, and we were just talking about the fact that where you are in California, the weather has finally gotten sunny and it's getting warmer, and you're excited about that. Where I am in Arizona, next week's supposed to be 114 degrees out. So um, you are thankful for the sunshine. If you want to send a little of the clouds our direction, we'd be thankful for it. Yeah, we are done with the clouds as far as the eye can see, uh, knock on wood. Uh, but yeah, happy to have a Friday, happy to see you and to be recording another great episode of the podcast. I think we've got a really good show in store. Kobe, set us up. What are we doing today? It has finally happened. We are finally doing an entire episode based on primarily a book, but don't let that defer listeners out there, deter rather, uh, because the topic is taken out of a book that I read recently uh, called The Psychology of Money. And a specific chapter in that book, uh, the idea between being rational, purely rational, and reasonable when it comes to your finances. And I think it will be a very interesting topic for listeners out there. And it makes me happy because we're talking about a book on a Friday. No better way to end the week. And I think it will be a great conversation. I mean, of course not. And I think that the concept that, that the book brings up is one that I think is unique to personal finance. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Kobe, but when we speak to clients that are not you know, in the day-to-day uh, business of helping people with money like you and I are, but just generally speaking, I think our listeners and our clients and, and people feel a sense of responsibility, this added I think a heightened sense of responsibility when it comes to personal finance, right? I met with a client just this week that said to me, gosh, I feel like I should know more than I do, right? And we hear that all the time. And because of that heightened sense of of responsibility, I think we feel um, at times our clients and individuals can feel pressure to act in a way that might not be the most reasonable for them. Would you agree with that? Karen, I could not agree more. We have the luxury from our chairs of seeing a whole myriad of situations from a diverse group of investors and individuals and families and couples and all sorts of uh, businesses, all sorts of groups. Uh, And uh, we get the advantage of seeing them make decisions, but they don't have that advantage. And so for them, I think a lot of times you're right. There is a tension between... I want to be rational. I want to make the rational decision. We kind of hammer down on paper. This is right. This makes sense. This is what you should, should do. But that decision may not be a reasonable decision for all individuals. And there is a difference. And maybe we should define the difference between the two. And Karen, define the difference between the two for us. Rational 
and reasonable. Yeah. So for purposes of this episode, the, the rational context is the decision that makes the most financial sense. What makes sense on paper that either makes us the most amount of money or saves us the most amount of money. That's the on paper rationale. Whereas the reasonable approach, I would say, makes the most personal sense. It takes into account rational thought, but also takes in other factors that are more personal, right? The decision that provides more peace of mind, that helps us sleep at night. I'd like to call reasonable, um, educated reason. I will add one thing to your definition of rational, because I think the definitions, both definitions are excellent. And when I think rational... You said the optimal on-paper financial decision. And I think uh, uh, this is actually a definition I read, which I thought was great for this conversation, which is a decision that's based on math and logic, right? Yeah. It's that it's the you're the automaton. You're just making the I'm going to make all the decisions right down the checklist that I'm sub, quote unquote supposed to make. It doesn't really matter how I feel about them, what my life experiences have told me, uh, how I'll react. None of those things. It's just on paper. This is what I am supposed to do. So I will do it. And we're going to give some examples today. Whereas, like you said, reasonable, it, it's really a, a, a compromise, right? It's it's uh, you're sacrificing maybe the optimum rational math and logic outcome but i like what you said you're going to sleep at night and that's that has value that has real value maybe not dollar value but it has real value to the human being is it even possible as a human to be an automaton i mean i i think about all the different areas in which life experience personal preference shape shapes our decision making right? I mean, if I could be an automaton about diet and exercise, boy, would I be a different person, you know? Is that even possible, Kobe? Is it possible? That is a great example because I think rationally, we should eat, you know, precisely portioned meals. We should eat a certain percentage of carbohydrates, fats, and protein. We should do all these things. And rationally, we can we can really understand why that would be good for us but but is that really um is that is that practical is it reasonable to expect for the next 50 years that you and I are going to eat a perfectly portioned meal at set times of day no and in the same way is it is it really reasonable to expect human beings to make decisions about their finances based solely on logic and math no I do not think it is. And today we're going to talk about some examples and hopefully encourage clients out there as they wrestle with these and, and just listeners. I say clients, but listeners uh, as they wrestle with, am I, am I is this reasonable? Am, should I do this? I, everybody's telling me I should do X, but I'm really not comfortable with X. Could I do X minus Y, right? And, and do something that's a little less than X, but it's going to be more reasonable for me. We're going to give some examples here that I think will be helpful as we paint the picture of it's okay to be reasonable. You don't always have to be perfectly rational, but make sure you're reasonable. And I think this will come up. We've got some really great, very common examples that we've seen among clients. And I'm sure even family members have asked you, Kobe, some of these questions as have, have mine. Uh, but we encourage listeners, if there is a, an example of a scenario where you are not, you're not sure which decision to make, please, we encourage you to reach out to us info at getthesense.com. Again, that's info at getthesense.com. So with that, Kobe, give us our first, probably most common example of 
the tug between most rational, rational and reasonable. I get this question, this concern, this topic on a regular basis. I would say once a month. You nailed it on the head. If it's not a client asking me, it is certainly a family member or a friend. This is a, you know, there's things in American life you're, you really, we don't talk about as much as maybe other cultures, right? You don't talk about politics and religion around the dinner table. You don't talk about personal finance around the dinner table, except I find one topic, which is what's your mortgage rate? That is not an off-topic conversation. That is not an, you're allowed to ask that question of most Mortgage rate, yes. Credit score? Credit score, probably not. Yes, good, very good point. Uh, They go hand in hand. You may be able to deduce one from the other. However, mortgage rate is an okay question to ask. Uh, And- we just came out of a period where mortgage rates were historically low. In fact, there's maybe an argument to be made. They'll never be that low again. I don't know. Nobody knows. However, uh, they were extraordinarily low. And I will give a personal anecdote because we're allowed to share apparently mortgage rates. My mortgage rate on my house is 2.75%, right? Me it's, too. Hey, see, and we're allowed to talk about it. So uh, it's it's extraordinarily low. And in fact, right now, holding cash, you're getting let's say in a money market fund at Schwab, let's say, in their value advantage money market fund. Now, this is as of June 23rd, 2023, and it could change before I finish saying this. However, it's somewhere above 4.5%, okay? It's somewhere in that range. So it's paying significantly more on cash. Essentially, cash is paying more than my mortgage rate is. So the rational thing is don't pay down your mortgage, right? Don't, 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 Put extra payments towards your mortgage. And this really leads people uh, to have some conflicts and have some internal strife. And I'm sure you experience this as well, Karen, and stop me if I'm wrong. But a lot of folks say, you know, I know my mortgage rate is really low, but I just do not like being in debt. I don't like it. And so I'm making extra payments. And they say, is that okay? Should I stop? What should I do? I get that question all the time. time. And before we before I read the book, again, it's The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. I hope I'm saying his last name right. H-O-U-S-E-L. Housel is how I'm going to say it. Uh, Morgan Housel, Psychology of Money. Before I'd read that book, I usually described it as, um, you know, there is the way that will probably lead you to have the most money in your bank account at the end of your plan, let's say. And then there is the uh, the way that allows you to sleep at night. And it is not fair to say that one of those is more important than the other. That is a subjective choice. Now we can actually frame it even better and say the rational decision is to not make extra payments, invest that money, and because using logic and math and on paper, that is probably going to lead you to your highest net worth down the line. But it is not unreasonable. In fact, it is reasonable to not want to be in debt, a habit that a lot of us should be encouraged in. Don't be in debt. Uh, and um, it's reasonable to say, you know what, when I get into retirement, I don't want to have a mortgage, even if it was at a really low rate. Is it okay to pay it off early? Um, there are some caveats to this, and I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, because sometimes we can use, uh, we can make decisions that seem reasonable, but they actually aren't. They're actually detrimental to us. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, I'll just, if I can, just please, jump right please on jump in. Yes. talk about the mortgage, you know? I mean, I have, it, that is a, re- listeners, it is reasonable to want to pay off your mortgage. Um but there are special situations in which maybe that isn't reasonable, right? I mean, if you think about, and that's the, the the goal and purpose in our previous episodes, we've talked about how important it is to align yourself with an advisor that takes a holistic approach, right? So 
I can be speaking to client A who is inclined to want to pay off their mortgage for all the reasons, very reasonable reasons that you just stated, Kobe. And I can be speaking to client B who also wants to pay off their mortgage for all the same reasons, right? But long-term in a bigger picture scenario, client A may have the liquidity and the ability to do that, all things considered, and client B may not, right? So reasonable also becomes um, not viable, right? Not a realistic solution. Um, and so it's, in, and that doesn't come into upon us. That is, that is us, our job as the professionals to help determine where reasonable is possible and where it isn't, right? Such an important point. Sometimes the rational decision is also the only reasonable decision. Sometimes you just don't have a lot of options when it comes to your finances, right? If you're, um, buried in credit card debt and you're, we talked about credit scores earlier, credit card, your, your credit score is in the can and, but dang it, you really, really, really want to go on that vacation and it's a once in a lifetime. And that seems it's, it's probably both unreasonable and irrational for you to spend that extra, I'm making numbers up here, $20,000 to do the luxury cruise. It may seem reasonable because it's once in a lifetime, but it is both unreasonable and irrational. Sometimes your hands are just tied. And these two decision types, the reasonable and the rational, overlap. They are the same decision. There is only one. In your example, that's a perfect example. If you don't have the cash flow to pay off your mortgage, and and th that's going to compromise your other goals and priorities, like eating food, then you you need to not pay off your mortgage, right? Uh, this 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 only really comes into play when you have options. Correct. That's a good point. And you mentioned cash flow, uh, and there is another very common decision related to cash flow, a stream of cash flow in retirement that we get a lot of questions about. Kobe, what is our second example of where there is a tug of war between? rational and reasonable. Thankfully, Karen, you walked me right up to the door on this one. So very easy answer for you. When to start Social Security, which for the for a certain demographic might actually be the most common question that I get. Uh, when, when folks learn I'm a financial advisor or I'm meeting with a potential client, that client, that question rather comes up pretty often. Uh, and we can run the math. We can make assumptions about how long you will live we can make assumptions about uh, all sorts of things and give you a pretty good idea based on your life expectancy, based on your family. How long did your grandparents live? How long do your parents live? Uh, how healthy are you now? How likely are you to live to 95? You're getting um, you're getting longevity credits by delaying. This is really going to get you the most money in your pocket if you started on this date. And very often that date is later than most people would like, right? We can do all of that math. But does that mean that rational math logic-based recommendation is the most reasonable? Karen, what do you think? Not always. I it, I mean, this is a great one and it's very common. I have a personal anecdote I'll share. My mother uh, will be 70 next February and she continues to work uh, and doesn't need the income from social security while she's working. But man, is she itching to begin collecting her benefit now. Now, okay, so she's 70 in February. She is, what is that? Eight months away from when her benefit will be maxed out at that age 70 benefit. A reminder for listeners, your maximum social security benefit is at 70. There is no ability or reason to delay past 70. Um, and you and her benefit has increased each year that she's waited, right? And her reasonable thought to taking it 
before 70, knowing that she'll get a little less than she will at 70 is this. It's only eight months. So how much upside am I giving up and having waited, you know, three, almost three full years, I'm giving up just those eight months of delayed credits. So how much is that realistically? And it's not much, I'll be honest. Um, For her, we should say. For some folks, it might be. Depends on the benefit. For her, it might not be. Yep, because it's percentage-based. All things are are relative to her. It's it's not much. And there are some things that she would like to ensure are done with her house, kind of out of the way, deferred home maintenance that she would like to use that money for while she's working. And it feels better to her to do it while she has a regular stream of income rather than waiting and doing it when she doesn't have that work for the, you know, the earned income from employment. And so there's all this reasonable thought behind that decision for her, right? Now, do I want to see her get the maximum amount of social security and then start at the maximum amount for all future inflation purposes? I do. But is it going to derail her retirement if she collects it now? It won't, right? So that is a very- Is it reasonable for her to start it now? And it's reasonable for her to do it. Correct, correct. But- she understands, she she took the time to understand what that decision meant, what it meant for her long-term in terms of lost credit and inflation on those credits. So she kind of went into it making a decision eyes wide open. Did she do that by herself? No, she didn't. She worked with the help of her trusted and um, loving daughter advisor, me, you know, that helped her through that. But um, she made an educated, reasonable decision. Well, she's going to. She actually hasn't decided yet, but um, that's the discussion we've been having in our house lately. So Karen, we have a third example to share with listeners today of decisions that are maybe not fully rational, but they're very reasonable. What's our third example? The rational versus reasonable investment portfolio. And this is a big one. It is a big part of what we do, Kobe, which is the art of the amount of risk that should be included in a client's investment portfolio. And in our opinion, the the right amount of risk should include an understanding of what is the most rational, right? What looks the best on paper? What risk profile, the, what underlying risk characteristics when modeled out using really sophisticated software and techniques gives us the highest chance of success in reaching our client goals. That is rational. But that should be compared to and married against what is reasonable for our clients. That is what I like to refer to, and I did not make this up. Um, Hats off to Kami Stevens uh, with uh, our director of wealth planning here who, who coined this phrase. It is the capacity for risk, which is the rational side, and the preference for risk, which is the reasonable side. It's the more subjective side. Because, and it's important to have an understanding as advisors of what that reasonable side is, what that preference is. Because if we invest a client in a way that is outside their level of risk, we run the risk of the most dangerous scenario, which is portfolio is too risky, riskier than client appetite, when does that become uncomfortable at a time when the market is doing very bad? What does client want to do? Sell investments when the market is doing bad. And then we have a quite a hole to dig ourselves out of, right? So that is kind of the scenario that we are trying to avoid 
in marrying the rational and reasonable components that go into risk management. Kobe, I can see you shaking your head. You have something to add. I have agreement first and foremost to everything you said. And the only thing I would add on the rational side is a shameless plug for our chief investment officer, Michael Dow's podcast, Markets in Motion. Because if you want a taste of thinking around just a purely rational portfolio, that podcast is probably for you. It's probably for everybody. It's a great podcast. However, that's the portfolio being described by Michael Dow in that podcast, right? This is rational. This is what the math says. This is what logic says. I tend to encourage clients to follow a similar maxim to what uh, Kami Stevens has, which is the best portfolio for you is the one you will stick with. That's the best. Is that the most rational portfolio for you? Often not. Often you might be 60 looking down the uh, horizon at a 35-year retirement but you want to have 50% of your portfolio in ultra-conservative investments that are unlikely to grow at a pace that is um, in the is the most rational for you. Obviously, I'm going to encourage you away from it. It's going to be majorly detrimental to you, but it may require you to take some cuts in your lifestyle later in life by building that non-rational portfolio. However, if you spend those 35 years not getting a lick of sleep because you're in the rational portfolio that was too aggressive and you think about it 24-7, then that was not reasonable. It was not the right decision. The reasonable portfolio might be a compromise between the two, but it's certainly the one you will stick with and the one that allows you to enjoy your retirement. That's right. And I think that's a good segue into the lessons that we want our listeners to take from this podcast. And and what, what drives me to our lessons, Kobe, is the point that we were chatting about before, which is that certain things can change, right? It's okay to change. Risk preference is the perfect example of um, a change that we see in clients. I uh, come to mind some a couple that I work with, I've worked with for a number of years. They have entered a period in their lives, which has never happened since I've been working with them for since 2012, where they just feel they have a, they have a lower appetite for risk, right? And they don't expect it to be permanent. We took some risk off the table as a result of that. We tested it and it wasn't going to deter them or their long-term goals in a significant way. And it was a reasonable decision tested against rational uh, exercise. And so we have a more conservative approach. And I think, so one of our lessons is that it's okay to change and to change your mind and to change your approach and your reason behind, behind things and change your approach as well. So another great segue into lessons because our second segue in our second lesson rather would be to understand your goals because they also can change and very often they compete with each other. And the reasonable, the, the reasonable response, the reasonable decision is probably going to need to take into account multiple goals. You can't look at your investments in a vacuum. That's probably being too there's an argument to be made that that's not rational either. However, if you're just making a mathematical decision about your portfolio and you just want it to be the biggest it can be, it might be a better approach to look at it reasonably against all of your goals because they can change and they compete. And so this will evolve over time. That also points me to our third lesson. And you touched on this already, which is have a holistic approach. 
understand all the pieces of the puzzle, all the levers that can be pulled, have a holistic approach. If you're trying to be rational and you're saying, I'm going to strip all everything out of my investment decisions and I'm just going to make investment decisions in a vacuum, rationally using math, that's probably going to lead you down the wrong path. That's probably actually both unreasonable and irrational, right? It's probably both of those things, but it might seem very rational in the moment. I'm I'm being non-emotional. I'm just focused just on my investment portfolio. This is how I want it to be. Well, life doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so your investments are a tool. That tool is to help you in life. So if life doesn't happen in a vacuum, your investments shouldn't be invested in a vacuum either. Yeah. And I think to kind of step out of that vacuum train of thought and to think more holistically, it, it, it involves generally working with an advisor that allows you to speak about your personal feelings or reasons behind your decision-making, to understand them, and to help explain the context be behind the optimal approach and how kind of that that um, compromise, you know, can can you know arrive at a compromise sometimes when that when that is the most reasonable approach. So, Karen, our our last lesson for today, and then we're going to get to the get to Friday and get people to their weekends, is actually a bit of a warning. And the warning is this: it can be very easy to disguise emotional decisions by trying to label them as reasonable decisions. You say, look, I'm just trying to be reasonable here. I know I'm not being rational, but I'm being reasonable. But really, you're being emotional. And that's a third category. And in investments, in financial decisions, almost always, emotion is the enemy, okay? You You can be not rational, but reasonable without having to be emotional. And I think the real balance there is reasonable decisions, are decisions that you understand you're getting a less optimized outcome compared to the rational decision, let's say. And you're sacrificing that a little bit, but you're also compromising the the rational choice with your life's experience, your tolerance for volatility and risk, your goals and desires. You're compromising between the two. That's reasonable. Whereas emotional is- reason. Say that again. Informed reason, educated reason educated, informed by your life, by your preference, by your experience. That's reasonable. Emotional is a decision based on what feels right. And what feels right is not a good way to make decisions in almost all categories. Uh, You need to have more than that, right? So it can be compromised. You can bring some emotion into that compromise, but you need to make sure that you're not, the warning here is make sure you're not making emotional decisions, but you're trying to disguise them by saying, no, they're just reasonable decisions, right? Um, You need to make sure it's not actually an emotional decision because that's a third category and it's a dangerous category. That's great. And we have, um, we'll have some great links in our show notes for our listeners. We've got a link to the book, of course, that Kobe shared that was, you know, the inspiration for the podcast. There's an excellent article that writes up um, some of the concepts that we spoke about today and others provide some other real life examples of that tug of war between rational and reasonable. And then of course, we've given a nod to our beloved CIO and his podcast, Markets in Motion. So we will include a link for our listeners there as well. Kobe, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks everybody out there for listening. If you have ideas for shows in the future, topics you'd like us to cover, 
info at getthesense.com. Enjoy your weekend and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Get The Sense and online at beaconpoint.com. That's point with an E. Be sure to check back regularly for new episodes. Until next time, keep your dollars and we'll keep our cents. Important disclosure. This recording is for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Beacon Point has exercised all reasonable professional care in preparing this information. Any information that has been obtained from third-party sources is believed to be reliable. However, Beacon Point has not independently verified or attested to the accuracy or authenticity of the information. Nothing contained herein should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, or tax advice, nor should it be relied upon as personalized investment advice or be considered as an individualized recommendation, offer, or solicitation. All investments involve risks, including the loss of principal. Investors should consult with their financial professional before making any investment decisions. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results.